The Lord be with you. And also with you. Oh, please be seated. Some of you might be uh, a bit confused because if you look at the uh, bulletin, Vincent Murphy is supposed to be uh, giving the sermon, but you have me. Um, uh, it is actually with the great sadness that we uh, hear of Vincent's uh, grandfather passing away sometime last week. And so he is now in the UK uh, with the family. And so we, uh, um, we pray for him. And uh, uh, shall we bow our heads in prayer as we pray for him? Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll be with the family of Vincent, uh, especially as they mourn the passing of his grandfather. Uh, we pray, Father, that you'll give them strength at this time and uh, bring Vincent back to us safely uh, after all the uh, affairs are, are done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, once again, good morning, everyone. Um, and we pray again. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word uh, as we study this morning, uh, Exodus 5 and 6. Help us, Lord, to, to see your Son, Jesus Christ, in Scripture, uh, whom you have sent to save us from our sins. And in your spirit, change us even as we learn. And now as I speak, please guide me to speak clearly and keep faithfully to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, for the uh, past two Sundays, we have been looking at uh, Exodus chapters 1 to 4 in our current series on Exodus. Um, if you notice, we were introduced to the book of Exodus with the key team uh, that begins uh, right from verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. And the theme is this. When people do not know God, they tend to fear His people and will try to control them and make them suffer, sometimes quite terribly. Exodus 1.8, after a short introduction about Joseph and the people of Israel in, uh, in Egypt, has this to say. There arose a new pharaoh who did not know Joseph. The words indicate to us that this new pharaoh did not know the God of Joseph who had used him as his instrument in saving not only the Hebrews, God's people, but, but also the millions of others around the surrounding nations, including the Egyptians, some 430 years ago, including Pharaoh's own uh, forefathers, the Egyptians. However, it is not only the Egyptians who did not know God. Not knowing God was also true of the Hebrews, who were the descendants of Israel who considered themselves to be God's people. We saw this in Moses who protested when God wanted to send him uh, to rescue his people. Why is this so? It's because mainly Moses did not trust that God was powerful enough to convince the people of, Hebrew, the, the people of Israel, the Hebrews, or that God is a, is a fit or suitable match for the most powerful man of the world at that time, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. But when Moses was finally convinced, well, at least for the time being, he went without protest uh, on his mission. And he began his mission accompanied by his brother Aaron. If you now turn with me to page 56, and uh, also in the center of your bulletin is a, 
sermon guide with some space for writing. We are one of those who take notes. And we shall begin by looking at some verses just before our passage today as Moses began his mission uh, by first facing the Hebrews in chapter 4, verses 29 to 30. Let me read that to you. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders and the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Aaron spoke the words to them and Moses performed the miraculous signs. And you remember those three miracles, miraculous signs? He threw the, his staff onto the ground. It became a snake. He picked it up by the tail. It became a stick again. And he stick his uh, hand inside his cloak. And when he pulled it out, it was leprous. And when he stick it back inside again and pulled it out, it was clean. And when that didn't convince anybody uh, too much, he went to the river now, took some water, poured it onto the ground, it turned into blood. So Moses did all these miraculous things, and Aaron spoke the words. And the reaction of the people, initial reaction, we read this in verse 31. The people believed. When they heard that the Lord has visited the people and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. They bowed their heads and worshipped. But does that mean that they know God very well? Or was this going to be a worship that was founded upon a very slim foundation or very shaky foundation of the knowledge of God? Well, let's find out more from our passage uh, from Exodus 5 and 6, beginning on page 56. And first of all, we will take a look at the Pharaoh's reaction from the first 18 verses of the uh, chapter. Now, Verse 1 says this, Afterwards Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. There's no longer this hesitant Moses and Aaron. They were confident. They went to the Pharaoh and they demanded. No longer was he the one who says, Who am I to go before the powerful Pharaoh? They let down Yahweh's demand and say, Thus says the Lord. You know, you are speaking these words to Pharaoh, who himself was like a god. He was worshipped by, by his people like he was God himself. And Pharaoh himself did not know God. He said this in verse, in verse 2. He said, Who is Yahweh that I shall let you go? I don't know Yahweh, and I will not let Israel go. You just want to get an excuse from your work. Just because you want to be lazy later on, as we can see in our passage. And when you go to uh, Numbers chapter 1, verses 45-46, uh, you can find in, on page 129. It was found that when Moses was doing a census of the people, he found that the number of people, of the young men who were 20 years and above, the men of Israel, numbered something like 603,550 Considering the fact that if, you, if Pharaoh was working them at 16 hours a day, over six days, you would get a figure, a stunning figure of about 60 million men hours that would be wasted. You can see this flitting through Pharaoh's mind. Say, oh, you want to take a leave? What, so long? 60 million men hours. But it is not just the refusal to let them go. The refusal came with severe punishment for the Hebrews because the Pharaoh ordered that straw which has been used as a reinforcement for the bricks, to make the bricks stronger, 
will no longer be supplied to them. You know, when the Egyptians supply this straw, they will cut them into nice regular lengths so that they can mix them together with the, with the mud and then it will become stronger. Now, straw will not be provided for them. So they have to go out into the field, into the roads and gather all this. Uh, Pharaoh is going to say, stubble. No, all the odds and ends of the straw, which doesn't make them very strong, uh, the bricks very strong, but which will act as a sort of reinforcement. They will have to go and collect this straw for themselves. And in spite of this additional work that they have to do, they will still have to make the same number of bricks. And verse 14 tells us that naturally, the Hebrews fell behind in their work. They suffered more than before because they had to work that much harder to collect all the straw they could find. And their foremen who came from them, who were selected from among uh, their, the Hebrews, were beaten because they were unable uh, to produce the same number of bricks as before. And complaints to the Pharaoh, as we read further on, fell on deaf ears. So people that we saw who were grateful when Moses first came to them, who came and worshipped God, who were so grateful, would their faith in God stay strong in the face of this new suffering? How would they react under pressure, we wonder? Well, the answer is very simple, as we can read towards the end of the first uh, chapter 5. They looked for somebody to blame. Just a very human pattern that began from the Garden of Eden, when Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. And now we see uh, the Moses... Uh, Hebrews and the Moses' reaction to Pharaoh in more detail from verses 19 to 23. The overseers were selected from among the Hebrews, blamed Moses in chapter 5, verse 21. They said to Aaron and Moses, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us think in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They say, let the judgment of God fall upon you. Because instead of delivering us, you have caused us to live not only, uh, not only even more disgraced than before, but now we live in fear of our very lives. Their shaky faith has turned into accusations and disbelief. And what did Moses do? Moses blamed God. We see this in the next two verses. Uh, 22 and 23, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to these people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people and you have not delivered your people at all. Why did you ever send me? He asked the Lord. Instead of doing good, we have caused more suffering on our own people. Instead of deliverance, we have caused them even more hardship. Moses' shallow faith like that of the Hebrews, caused him to doubt God when he first faced the very beginning of the obstacles. And he accused God for failing to deliver. And just in case that we think that the Moses and the Hebrews are bad guys who doesn't know God, uh, what about ourselves, I, go, I wonder? When things are going well, we believe in the goodness and greatness of God, don't we, friends? When things are going well, we praise Him, we give glory to Him because all things are going well. But when things do not work out well, I speak for myself, we begin to blame Him, lose our faith in Him, 
to accuse him of not watching over us. We are very much like Moses, friends, in our passage today. But you know what? God is faithful. He will deliver on all that he has promised for us. He's not far away. He's not forgotten about us. He's gone to another uh, universe and lived there. He's not forgotten about us. And what he has planned to do will come to pass. Just as he was going to tell Moses in chapter 6, he would show Pharaoh just who the God of the Hebrews was and just what this God of the Hebrews was capable of doing. Uh, when we start with uh, chapter 6, we read from verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see, you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. As a result of what God will do, not only would Pharaoh let them go, he in fact would force them to go because he doesn't want to see them, these troublemakers in his country, Egypt. And in the following verses from 2 to 9, God reminded uh, Moses of what he has done to the Hebrew people in Hebrew history. He said this, let me summarize. He was Yahweh of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was El Shaddai, the almighty God who covenanted with them. And he had promised to give his covenanted people the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. With great sects of power, he would deliver them from Pharaoh. He re-emphasized. And so Moses, being convinced, went back again in 6 verse 9 to the Hebrews. But what did they say? Moses spoke, uh, spoke thus to the people of Hebrew, Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They did not believe in God, in what uh, Moses said. They did not want to be reassured. And when God repeated his mission to Moses, it was history repeating itself again that we find last week. If even the covenanted, circumcised people of God did not listen to him, then he sleeps. Moses' lips must be uncircumcised, probably meaning that they are not worthy. They were not worthy enough to pronounce the promises of God to his people or even to tell the Pharaoh of what uh, God is saying, uh, God's command for the Pharaoh to let his people go. But God remained firm. We read that over the page in 6.13. Go to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And then we come to a very interesting part of our passage. You know, from 6.14 to 25, we have this big list of Hebrew names that are very difficult to pronounce. And you must be wondering, what is this list of Hebrew names doing here? You know, suddenly in the, in the story, we've got this thing uh, sitting down here. Well, the significance seems to be that it is placed between two bookends where Moses spoke the words, I am of uncircumcised lips. Do you see that? The first one is 612 at the top right hand, uh, left hand corner of your column, at the top of page 58, left hand column. Moses said to the Lord, I am of uncircumcised lips. And then in verse 630, on top of the right-hand column, on the same page, Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Notice how they form two bookends. And in between these big lists of uh, Hebrew names that are hard to pronounce, well, what does that show us? 
this list of names actually tell us who this Moses was, how his genealogy was made up. Now, don't worry. We're not going to uh, go into each uh, of these names and uh, describe what they are. Just to notice that in 614, it, rem- it, it, begin, it began with a, 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 the name of Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob's son, and followed immediately in the next verse by the second son of, uh, of Jacob, Simeon. And then the following verses went on to describe in great detail the third tribe of Levi, the third son of Israel. Notice how no other tribe is described. Well, and is stuck between these two bookends to say that Moses is of the uncircumcised lips. Well, it seems like theologically speaking, the list is showing us three major things. The first, first of all, it points us to the exclusive task of the Levites to look after the tabernacle of God when it is built, which will be, the, which will be described in Exodus 38 and also in the book of Numbers later. And later, in the second book of Kings, they would perform the same duties for the temple in Jerusalem after it was built by Solomon. That's the first thing the specific task of the Levites. Secondly, from this tribe will come the family of Aaron. Why is that important? Later, we'll find that from from the family of Aaron will come the priests of Israel, identifying the Aaronic priests as the forerunners to act as intermediaries between God and his people. And this will be described in great detail in Leviticus, how the priest will perform sacrifices for himself first to purif- for purification before he then interacts, uh, uh, acts as an intermediary between uh, the people and God. Until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will do away with the old order of things and to replace it with the new one of love. He will be replacing the priesthood of Aaron or Aaron's family with the priesthood of all believers, that we, you and me, will act as intermediaries pointing the world to Jesus, the great high priest himself who now sits at God's right hand. That's the second thing, the Aaronic family of priests for God's people during that time. Thirdly, It points us and draws our attention to Moses of the uncircumcised lips who came from the tribe of Levi. Moses, who would be the one who would be enabled by God to show great acts of power before Egypt and Pharaoh and bring about the freedom of God's people, pointing us once again to Jesus who would come and with the greatest miracle of all by his own death and his own resurrection would free God's people from slavery to sin and death. Encapsulating everything by telling us that everything is in accordance with God's plan of salvation. That this is the faithful and loving God of His people who by His mighty hands would restore all things in His new creation that we read in uh, Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4 just now. And so we can close the book.
And we'll come to the end of our passage. And in conclusion, friends, what can we bring home with us today? Well, remember the question that Pharaoh asked very, very, at the very beginning of uh, Exodus 5 in verse 2. He says, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Because he did not know God, Pharaoh would be challenging him for the next 10 chapters of Exodus. And it is very exciting. Uh, over the next few weeks, we'll be reading how he tries his best uh, to challenge God and how he felt miserably. The final result will still remain the same. The, the children of Israel would still be rescued from their slavery in Egypt. But the cost of not knowing God will be tremendous for the Egyptians and Pharaoh. All Egypt's firstborn son, including that of, his, of the Pharaoh, would be killed because the Pharaoh did not release Israel, collectively known or, or identified as God's firstborn son, his covenanted firstborn son. Because of that, Pharaoh's firstborn and all of Egypt's firstborn sons would be put to death. Not only that, Pharaoh's elite army, his charioteers and his soldiers who are equipped with all the wonderful uh, uh, warfare, missionary warfare during that time, his army would drown in the waters of the Red Sea as they tried to pursue uh, the, uh, the, the Hebrews and bring them back to Egypt. Crazy. It was a bit confused, I think. He first of all wanted to push them out, then he wanted to bring them back. His army would drown beneath the waters of the Red Sea. And if you think that's only belonging to the pharaohs and uh, his people, the Egyptians, well, friends, the Hebrews also didn't know God deeply enough. And because they did not know God well enough to trust completely in Him, Exodus 5 and 6 was like living in a time for them, as if they are living in a time that was in suspension, if you like. The now and not yet of the Hebrews in Egypt 3,500 years ago. Where Yahweh has spoken and had promised certain things. But as yet, his people, the Hebrews, waited for the promises of deliverance from slavery in Moses' time. It was as if Pharaoh was much more powerful than Yahweh. And in witness of faith, Moses followed their thinking. Moses joined the people of God to question God, to accuse him of not caring, of being so remote from their troubles and their sufferings. Friends, in Moses of the uncircumcised lips, we see a self-confessed weakness, and not only about himself, but about his God who are way. And to doubt whether God indeed would have the power he claimed to have to deliver them out of the slavery of Egypt into the promised land. And we think that it's uh, just a story that belongs to the Old Testament. What about us? On this side of the cross, we too live in the age of the now and not yet that the Hebrews faced 3,500 years ago. Uh, Jesus has come. His son has, has been sent and has come. He has died, he suffered and died for us on the cross. He has risen and resurrected uh, and ascended into heaven to be with the Father. 
And though we see some of the blessings of the kingdom of God, like the gift of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the proclamation of the gospel going out freely, uh, the um, inculcation of uh, Christian values of love and mercy that we see all over the place, uh, all over the world, especially in places where, need, uh, where there are needy people, where there are suffering people, we see these Christian values being, uh, being uh, proclaimed. And the growth of his kingdom in so many parts of the world, including parts of the world that we never believe, so many other things seem to be in suspense. And that same question, the same questions that face the Hebrews challenge us, don't they? How strong is our faith? Or how, how well do we know God? In our own country, it seems that the corrupt remain corrupt. Every day we hear or we read in the papers how corrupt the nation has descended into with the race of this OUP or uh, ordinary untitled person or that VIP, a very important person. We, we read all the time, this OUP, this VIP, they are arrested for, uh, by the MACC for uh, corruption. Otherwise, we also prayed for so many things to be made good, to be made right again, injustices, in the treatment of minority interests, of uh, migrant workers. We pray for the ease of exploding costs of living and hardship, especially on the people of low income. Inequality in wealth distribution. The filthy rich remain filthy rich. The poor remain filthily poor. Inequality in religious freedom and in religious practice. We have prayed for activists across all religions who have disappeared mysteriously from sight. It has been a year since Pastor Raymond Cole disappeared. We have prayed for his deliverance and return to his suffering family. And seemingly, like the Hebrews of Moses' time, God seemed to be so far away. It seems like God is not hearing us and not responding to us. And so like the Hebrews before us, do we know our own God? Do we know Him well enough to continue to have faith and trust Him to deliver on what He promised? Or do we, like the Hebrews, demand that God functions to our agenda and timing, that we too want instant action from God? We want it now. We want the ungodly punished now. We want those who have, who have uh, disappeared to be returned now. And in all the midst of all this, we forget. We forget that we forget who is in charge of the timing and the means of, his, of delivering on His promise. Our friends, if we truly know God, we will truly and totally trust in Him. For this is God, and He will surely deliver on what He promised. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that in Moses you have shown us once again that you are completely in control. That one day in your own timing we shall see you for who you truly are. The Al Shaddai, the Almighty God, Yahweh, who was and is and ever shall be. Thank you for your assurance that one day you will send your Son, Jesus Christ, and make all things new again and that we, will, we shall live forever and ever with you in your eternal kingdom. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.